Let us pray. God, we thank you for this Lenten season, this opportunity to gather here and to worship you. This night as we wrestle with Jesus' words on the cross, may you speak into our hearts and minds and lives that which we need to hear this day and each day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're journeying through Jesus' last words or phrases on the cross. There are seven. Technically, we will get to five between our Wednesday nights after our snow night and Good Friday. We looked at, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Last week, the two thieves and the one who heard those words, today you will be with me in paradise. Tonight, we look at the phrase that only appears in the Gospel of Mark. It's the one perhaps with a bit of controversy surrounding it, at least by those people who think and talk about this day and night and evening and in between. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words should not be new to us, not only as ones who know the story, but you heard Micah in the reading in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 has these same words in them. It's a part of the story. There is a connection there. That Jesus was, in fact, reciting part of the psalm, fulfilling part of the prophecy. But there's more here. But the great debate about these words has to do with whether or not these words are literal or figurative. Did Jesus literally mean when he said, My God, to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or are they figurative? Is this a plea, a cry of a righteous man being punished, being tortured in, in, in a difficult, in, in the most painful way, and, and a, certainly an unjust punishment for the one who is righteous, the one who is perfect? Or was it a cry of abandonment? Was it a cry of the Son of God, fully God, fully man, the fully man part of him crying out to God in this feeling of abandonment? Or was it a cry of Jesus to the Father for the sinners, those he was dying on the cross for, past, present, and future, me, you, each one of us? Was this a personal prayer? Or was it a communal prayer? It's interesting, as I studied this, there's no one that had an answer that left me feeling 100% confident on this issue. I think that's part of the mystery. My, my suspicion, my own opinion, my own interpretation is perhaps it's a combination of these, but I'll clarify that as I go tonight. We need to understand, and one of the most difficult things to understand in all of Christianity, and certainly about Jesus, how is it that we say and understand Jesus to be fully God and fully man? I mean, most days we don't feel fully anything, right? Fully God and fully man. How is that possible? What does that look like? Jesus, who didn't sin, yet felt pain, felt rejection, felt some of the very things that we do, felt joy. I think in crying out to God on the cross, crying out to the Father on the cross, in this moment, we see, I think, one of the most profound moments of Jesus' humanity. We see, I think, others in the garden when he says, Father, if there is any other way. We see it when 
he decides to stay at the temple and not tell his parents. We see it in the day where, I call it in the scripture, Jesus' bad day, that's the Marcus interpretation, where in one moment he passes a fig tree hungry and there's no figs, and the next moment he's tipping over tables in the temple, and then he kills the fig tree. We see these moments of Jesus' humanity. And I'm thankful for that because Christ's coming is not just a great story about dying for our sins. It's also knowing that we are the only ones as followers of Christ, as Christians, who have a personal God who came to earth, who experienced the things that we experienced, walked as we have walked, understands that which we have, are, and will go through. For me, when I came to know Jesus Christ, this was one of the most attractive things about Jesus. That Jesus understood. But it's also not unusual for someone to cry out on the cross. Think of it. People are watching you suffer. People are hurling insults at you. You are in deep pain. You are trapped. It is the most torturous of all deaths. So it wasn't unusual for people to shout and scream in pain and anger and agony and guilt and hatred, to shout violent words, to spew, literally spew venom as they hung their suffering on the cross. This, at the heart of things, I believe, is a plea for God to intervene. Jesus is asking for the Father to intervene. Now, whether or not that's a request for the Father to intervene on his behalf, whether it's a request by Jesus saying, I'm ready to meet you and be with you again, Father in heaven, whether it's a request for the Father to intervene on the behalf of the soldiers and those there punishing and mocking him, whether it's a request for God to intervene on our behalf, and I'm sure it's that for sure at least, it is a request for intervention. The truth of the matter is that Jesus Christ was not forsaken by the Father. The debate is whether or not he felt that way. But Jesus was never forsaken by the Father. We, as people who follow this Jesus, don't have to be forsaken by the Father either. But we've all been there. Jesus, again, even on the cross, is teaching us something. He has a lesson for us. A lesson so powerful that when he cries out, a soldier there literally converts, says, Surely this is the Son of God. Jesus could have been one of those quiet sufferers or one of the angry or lamenting sufferers, one who wrestled and bemoaned his fate. But yet, Jesus taught us in these moments. And here's one of the interesting things about this phrase, this last statement on the cross. My God, my God. Understand in this moment that Jesus had not lost faith. That in fact it was his deep faith in the Father, in who he was and what he was called to do, that sustained him. This is what in fact sustained him. He did not lose sight 
of who the Father was. He did not lose belief in the Father. He did not lose faith in what was going to happen. He still knew the Father. This is a dramatic lesson for us because we all suffer. We never suffer quite like that, and certainly not unjustly like that. But we all suffer, and we can never gauge our suffering because to us it feels awful. And yet we look at others and we see their suffering so less, and yet we can look to others still and see suffering so much greater than our own. And Jesus modeled something for us here. In his suffering, Jesus modeled for us what we are to do. In those moments where we feel abandoned, where the pain is so great, where it is so difficult, where we feel like, whether emotionally, physically, spiritually, or all of the above, when we feel like we're nearing death, and that's what Jesus was doing, we can, like Jesus, cry out, my God, my God. That Jesus points us to have faith and belief, to know who the Father is in the midst of those moments. How many times have we said aloud or in our head, whether over a stubbing of a toe or the loss of a loved one, why, God? Why? Why me? Why him? Why her? Why this? Why, God? And we come up with all sorts of things to say to make ourselves and others feel better. Things that are not in Scripture, like God will never give you more than you can handle. The Scripture says that about temptation, but not suffering. Or maybe we assume that God's trying to get our attention. We use phrases like, God is shouting or hitting me with a two-by-four. Remember that the Spirit is one who whispers. But Jesus here points us to a different way. We can still ask why, just like Jesus did But we look to Jesus' model of where he started. My God. Because it's in the times of greatest suffering that we need God the most. It's in the times of loneliness, in the times of abandonment, whether real or perceived, whether tiny or really significant, that we need the God of the universe the most. And Jesus models this for us. Jesus like us, experienced suffering, experienced rejection, experienced abandonment, and points us to a deeper faith that looks to this God of the universe. And so those moments in our life where we say to ourselves, God, where are you? God, what's happening? God, why me? Why this? Why her? Why him? We can remember these words of Jesus on the cross. My God. My God. Do you know that Jesus can handle our frustration? Jesus can handle our doubt as the Father could? That we're not going to surprise Jesus with our words of fear, our words of loneliness, abandonment, doubt, anger, frustration? What a model Jesus gives us here. The Son of God one of the three, the third to last thing that Jesus, or fourth to last thing that Jesus utters. Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
Jesus wasn't just modeling for us here. He was also actually praying. Jesus was also worshiping. That's why we read Psalm 22 tonight. Jesus, the Psalms are prayers, if you didn't know that. That's why, we, that's why we have them in worship. They are prayers. They are songs of worship. In fact, many contemporary and traditional songs have psalmic language, words from the Psalms in them. And so Jesus in this moment wasn't just modeling for us, wasn't just expressing a sentiment, whether for us or for himself or both, whether perceived or just because. He was praying. That even on the cross, even in the midst of the greatest pain and rejection he would ever experience, Jesus is worshiping the Father. I think that's the hardest time to worship God is in the midst of suffering. At least it is for me personally. It's, it's so easy to worship God when things are going great. It's easy to go to God when things are difficult, but to worship and sometimes it's in our suffering that we have the hardest time finding the words to pray. We'll talk about that a little bit on Sunday when we get to this part of the Lord's Prayer before the benediction, before the end, about temptation and the evil one. But Jesus gives us a model here. In this moment, Jesus demonstrates some honesty, some authenticity. Whether we know whether it was literal or figurative or not is Irrelevant because Jesus was demonstrating something to us in this moment. He was showing us this honest, authentic moment. He was modeling for us how we are to look at things when we are afraid, when we are alone, when we feel abandoned, when we're hurt, when we're suffering. To cry out to the Father, to cry out to our God, even if we feel forsaken. Because sometimes just uttering the words, why God have you left me, helps us to remember that God doesn't leave us. Sometimes admitting that that's how we feel, that that's where our heart is at, is the very thing that gives us hope. You see, these are painful words. These are words that make me wonder. I studied and studied, and there's so much disagreement, and and I, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around them, let alone pronouncing them correctly. And yet, they're meant to be words of hope. That the Son of God, who came to earth, born in a miraculous way, lived a life like some of our own kids and some of we lived, went and did ministry, profound and miraculous things, and then suffered and died for us so that we might have life, keeps teaching us, keeps giving us hope that in this moment I see a Jesus who understands my moments of suffering, who understands my moments of pain, of doubt, of loneliness, of fear, of abandonment. Whether really insignificant, rooted in sickness and tiredness or a bad conversation or a conflict or something, or whether monumental. But the God of the universe who chooses to care, not only cares, but knows and understands. You ever had that moment where you've had a conversation with someone 
and you realize that they understand what you're going through, that they understand what you're experiencing? Have you ever had a moment where you wished you could find that someone who you could talk to, who could understand what you're thinking, understand what you're feeling and experiencing? The great news is this moment points us to the simple truth that Jesus is always that one. And could there possibly be anyone better? No. Jesus chose not to understand suffering from a distance, but to understand it personally. And showed us what we can do in the midst of our own suffering. In the deepest of his faith in who the Father was, even in that most lonely of moments, he knew who to look to. My God, my God. What a model for us. Because those hard moments, they come. And I always say when I am in the midst of suffering with people who don't know Jesus, I always say to myself, I don't know how they survive. That's one of the greatest gifts of Jesus Christ for us. That's one of the reasons the church exists. That's one of the reasons to share the Easter story with others. That we have a God who understands our suffering, walks with us in it, and helps us to cry out to God in the midst of the most difficult things of life. Let us pray. We thank you for these words in the book of Mark for these words of Christ on the cross, these words that teach and instruct, that show us perhaps a human side of this perfect Christ, that show us, model for us, how we can operate, that remind us that there's hope in the midst of all circumstances, the good and the beautiful, the ordinary and mundane, the difficult and the painful we can look up and cry out to the God of the universe who cares, who loves, and who understands. It's in this Christ who taught us so well. Name we pray. Amen.